Good morning and welcome to the Dodds Monitoring Podcast. Each week, our team of Dodds Policy Experts will be bringing you these short 15 to 20 minute audio briefings on a range of subjects and sectors, helping you to understand the policy behind the politics. Experts warned this week that the government's much anticipated and repeatedly delayed Integrated Defence and Foreign Policy Review risked creating tensions with its closest allies. At its launch, the government said the Integrated Review of Security, Defence, Development and Foreign Policy would define the government's visions for the UK's role in the world over the next decade. The result of the review is due to be published next week as a statement of the Prime Minister's post-Brexit vision for the country. But the UK's former National Security Advisor, Lord Ricketts, has already questioned whether the government's ambitious plans will actually transpire into something which makes sense. I'm Dean Sabri, and joining me to discuss what the review signals about, the, about Britain's ambitions in the world is Dodds' Head of Political Intelligence, Laura Hutchinson, and Senior Political Consultant, Nabil Rastani. Good morning, both. Nabil, if I can come to you first. We saw a major uplift in defence expenditure back in the spending review, which concentrated on building a lot of military equipment domestically. But what kind of priorities will the integrator review have on the back of this? Yeah, so the integrated review, I think, will pretty much focus on the changing nature of modern warfare. So uh, we saw back in the spending review, there was a lot of emphasis on the national cyber force, and I think that will be expanded upon. So what that essentially means is warfare is being conducted very differently to what it was even back in the Cold War, where there was the traditional thought of tank on tank warfare and nuclear warfare. Nowadays, we're shifting towards something that's a little bit more of a hybrid form of conflict, what's called the fifth generation of warfare, which includes uh, drone warfare um, and hacking and cyber capabilities. And you're already seeing aggressive actors like Russia, China and Iran already starting to attack critical infrastructure in the UK. And we're seeing the um, National Security and Investment Bill basically trying to counter that. And I think on the back of that, the government is basically trying to to uh, augment the, the capacities that the UK has in, in combating these aggressive actors. But in terms of boots on the ground, which is, of course, another feature of the integrated review, the army is expected to be cut in size from about 82,000 to 72,000 personnel. And the reason for this, again, is to allocate greater resources towards that new cyber uh, force that I mentioned earlier. Um, but it's it's likely that the government's equipment plan um, will also be given a, a bit of a boost as well. And we're likely to see uh, an increase in the procurement of new and modern equipment, especially for battleships uh, for the Royal Navy, which is particularly crucial for protecting trade routes and also for protecting the freedom of navigation, which is something uh, that's kind of being tested at the moment in the South China Sea and along the Persian Gulf. But I think with all that considered, uh, the most important kind of geopolitical move for the UK is focusing on the shift away from uh, Europe uh, and that tilt away from Europe towards the Indo-Pacific region. Thank you, Nibu. That's really interesting. And you, as you mentioned there, the UK is likely to tilt away from Europe towards the Indo-China region. What kind of implications do you think that this could have? Yeah, so... I think the rise of China has changed some of the realities on the ground. Uh, For one, it has really shifted attention away from Russia because Russia has increasingly had a kind of aging uh, fleet of equipment um, and its kind of its role in the world is is, is very much diminishing. And you can see that even in the past kind of 10 to 15 years. Um, And that, of course, shifts a lot of attention towards the Pacific. 
And uh, that comes at the expense of European defence, which is something that I'm sure a lot of European commentators will pick up on in the integrated review. So China has the world's largest navy. Uh, and it's honing in its own long-range ballistic missile capabilities. Um, Beijing basically pumped 12 billion worth of um, funds into its 2020 defense budget. So now it's nearly 200 billion yearly expenditure for the military, which is greater than the combined defense budget uh, increases in all Asian countries combined. And it's quite telling that the maiden voyage of HMS Queen Elizabeth is taking place in the South China Sea. That means to me that the government is going to almost certainly invest additional resources in the Royal Navy. And alongside that, it's basically a way of combining the UK's uh, geopolitical ambitions with that of the United States. Um, you know, newly elected Joe Biden is, is almost as hawkish, if not more so, towards China uh, than Donald Trump was. Uh, and there's an expectation that the UK will increasingly use its clout in this sphere uh, to bring about greater military coordination between Asian states to create a kind of new uh, Asian uh, NATO, uh, which is being touted as called Quad, uh, which basically consists of India, US, Japan, Australia, and with the addition of the UK, would aim to basically balance Chinese power in the Asian Pacific region. And I think another issue that generally uh, needs to be addressed is the role that kind of Brexit and the Global Britain strategy has in this whole process. Um, what could be seen as quite archaic language from the Prime Minister talking about how the UK is shifting its priorities to east of the Suez. Um, it's something that's increasingly being touted. And as I said, you know, I think now with the kind of declining uh, role of Russia as well, you're probably going to see a lot more of an impact uh, and role that the UK uh, military will have in the South China Sea disputes, which will only certainly flare up in the coming years. Thank you, Nabil. There's a lot of very interesting and, and implications that we need to um, consider coming away from the integrated review. Now, Laura, if I can come to you now, the aid sector has faced a number of challenges recently, the most recent of which was the aid cut, but also the abolition of DFID. Is there anything that they are hopeful for about in this upcoming review or has everything already been pre-announced? Hi, Dean. Uh, nice to join the podcast and thanks, Nabil. That was really interesting. Um, yes, you are correct uh, that the aid sector have been rather dismayed at the government's recent actions and, and policy decisions. So. As you referenced in June last year, Boris Johnson and Boris Johnson announced that they were dissolving DFID and merging it into the Foreign Office, um, which was widely criticised and seen as a way of boosting foreign policy at the at the expense of development policy. Um, more recently, uh, in the Chancellor's Spending Review last year, the government announced they would actually be cutting the aid spending target from 0.7% of GNI to 0.5%. So. This was very big news. Um, not only did it break a Conservative manifesto commitment, uh, but spending was already forecast to be lower because GNA, GNI had reduced. Um, so, it, so it's a big cut that the aid sector is looking at. Um, the government obviously keen to stress that they're still a world leader in overseas development assistance spending um, and that they do want to return to 0.7% levels when the economic situation allows, um, although they haven't set out when they expect this to be and they haven't actually brought forward the legislation uh, to enable this cut. Um, however, those who are supportive of ODA spending, um, they remain very, very critical of the government's decision um, 
and the impact of these cuts are, are now becoming quite evident. So you would have seen a couple of weeks ago that the government reduced aid spending to Yemen from £164 million last year to £87 million this year. Um, cuts are also expected uh, in areas like Syria, um, Somalia, you know, the, the list goes on. Um, obviously, the criticism here uh, levelled at the government is that they're reducing aid spending to these countries at a time when, when they arguably need it most. You know, many of these countries are, are struggling with the impact of the coronavirus and years and years of conflict and famine. So there's a, already a lot of concern uh, that the FCDO have not been transparent uh, about these cuts, uh, you know, where they fall. They also uh, haven't really consulted with or given clarity to the sector um, on the cut. So in terms of the integrated review and, and what the aid sector expect from it, you know, they're not going into it very optimistically. Um, a lot of the decisions that I, I just ran through should have logically really been discussions uh, contained within the IR rather than preceding it. Um, there are questions still unanswered around the future of development. So, you know, where does the government want to prioritise aid spending, for instance? Um, global health is obviously very high up on everyone's priorities right now. Um, and the government have stressed that they're still keen to focus on issues like girls' education, so I think we could see, you know, this being fleshed out a little bit more in the IR, um, the spending priorities, but also how they see the development budget being used in conjunction with other global Britain aims, um, which was, if you remember, the original argument behind merging DFID with the FCO, you know, this uh, idea that you're going to streamline development policy with foreign policy. Um, so... They have already uh, outlined their strategic priorities for ODA spending. So this includes stuff like climate change, girls' education, as I mentioned, things like open societies. Um, there is uh, also a focus expected to be on trade, uh, which just as an aside, I, I think will be quite problematic moving forward. Um, you know, the aid is not supposed to be transactional, so that, that could throw up some, some issues for the government. Um, but aided agencies such as Bond, uh, they've been quite quick to point out that the priorities admit, uh, omit sorry, any reference to uh, poverty reduction. So there's some hope that we could see more on this in the IR, as well as some more stuff around how the UK wants to achieve the sustainable development goals. Um, but as I said, um, you know, a, a lot of what was originally thought to be looked at in the IR has already been announced for the aid sector. Um, and uh, I'm afraid because so much of it has preceded it um, and what has been announced has been quite negative uh, for, the, for the aid sector. They're not very optimistic. Um, and as I said, there is extreme concern about the lack of transparency over aid cuts and how they've fallen. So perhaps there might be more clarity on this and how they, you know, the Foreign Office want to remain engaged with the aid sector. That might be in the IR, but um, not, not hopeful. Thank you, Laura. It does sound like a very challenging time for the aid sector. Um, and what can we expect this to show us about the UK's priorities for the G7? It will uh, It will be a really important document, I think, for the G7, um, as it will hopefully elaborate on global Britain uh, and, and its priorities, which up till now has been quite a vague slogan, really. So 
it should help for hopefully help flesh out what the UK, you know, as host nation this year wants to see from other countries and what role itself uh, it wants to play. Um, We know a little already. So in, in February, there was a G7 video conference where global health featured very heavily, particularly around the issue of vaccine nationalism and ensuring that developing nations could obtain supplies. Um, so I imagine there'll be a lot more focus on on global health response uh, in the IR. Um, and as Nabil mentioned, you can expect a lot uh, on defence commitments and reaffirming uh, to sort of the importance of organisations like NATO. Um, I think you can also expect a lot uh, in the IR to reinforce the government's focus on open societies as well as reinforcing the importance of trade, um, something we obviously are very keen to secure having left the EU. Um, there's obviously also going to be a lot about sort of security issues, as Nabil touched on, so sort of how to approach and how to deal with hostile uh, partners and emerging threats like cyber, um, and also, you know, these, these really difficult issues that the G7 will have to grapple with around kind of like a joint approach to to China, for instance, in light of human rights abuses um, and genocide. So I think it, you could see sort of uh, the IR looking into sort of how the UK would like to to tackle those issues um, and also expect announcements in it as well about which countries the UK will try and align with. So expect obviously a recommitment to areas like the US, um, but it's also thought that the IR will specifically stress a greater focus on ties with the Asia-Pacific region, as the bill was referencing. So three Indo-Pacific countries have actually been uh, invited as guests to the G7. So that's Australia, India and South Korea. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. There's also going to be a heavy focus on gender at the G7 and in the IR, I think. So this week, the government established uh, this gender advisory council for the G7 to drive uh, women's empowerment with a particular focus on science and technology. So this council will actually be the ones responsible for drafting recommendations on how to do this. But the IR may offer some guidance on initial steps or, you know, an initial general approach. Um, so essentially, I think it's an important document. It's it's likely to mirror the big discussions that will be had at the G7, you know, around security, defence, development. Um, so it hopefully will give us a good understanding of how the UK is likely to sort of tackle those issues, what priorities they're looking uh, sort of to promote as host nations. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect too many surprises in it, though. As I said, so much of the IR has actually been trailed already. Um, so we sort of know the, the government's general direction on this, but it still will be obviously interesting to see. Thank you, Laura, and thank you both so much for joining me this morning. Uh, even though some of it has been trailed already, I'm guessing there is still lots to look out for in next week's announcement. Um, and as I said, thank you both for, for going through that with me this morning. If you're not already a Dodds monitoring client and you think you or your business could benefit from getting up-to-date, tailored and cutting-edge political intelligence, then you can always request a free trial by emailing customer.service at doddsgroup.com or calling us on 0207 593 5500. Thank you for listening.